Happy Money Monday, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Women Effect Podcast. I am your host, Chris Ross, and if you're new to us, welcome. I am incredibly grateful that you're joining us for the first time. The outcome that we're after on each episode of this show is to introduce you to as many people as we cross paths with to inspire and to help you, our listeners, to manifest anything you want out of life. How we go about achieving this is one heartbeat, one mission, one outcome, that's success. Our guest for this week is former professional baseball player, a two-time Ironman finisher, business coach, and founder of Complete Game Coaching Program, Andy Neary. One of the things I love about his mission is to help business professionals build the mindset, habits, and rituals off the field that lead to all-star performance on it. And as he says, it's all about developing a major league mindset. I hope everyone enjoys today's episode, and please stay tuned for my episode coming out on his podcast show, Bullpen Sessions. Without any further delay, stand by for a quick message from our co-host, Wes Bays, and let's go ahead and dive right in. Now, before I bring on our guest, I want to ask you a quick question. How would you like to get access to free training live with Chris and myself every single week? If that's you, here's what you need to do. Go to Facebook and like our Winject Facebook page. There you're going to see more content from us in general, as well as gain exclusive access to those live training sessions on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, where Chris and I are talking about extremely important topics in business, sales, and personal development. You can't find this content anywhere else, so make sure you follow that Facebook page today. Now, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring on our guest. like to welcome Andy Neary to the show. Andy, welcome. What's up, guys? Thank you for having me. This is going to be fun. I appreciate you coming on, man. I know that it's been a couple conversations going back and forth, me coming on your show here soon. I think it's like next week, right? Next right? Monday. Yeah. Next Monday. Yep, absolutely. Can't wait. Um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of things that we can tie into this. And then, you know, first and foremost, I mean, you being, you know, a former athlete, you know, mindset type of stuff going into business nowadays. And of course, what's happened with COVID and all just throwing us curveballs as in with you playing baseball, right? So, and you being a pitcher and overcoming adversity, you know, so, so much in your story. And I, and I look forward to, you know, trying to get you to the point to where you're explaining in detail on some of the things that really held you back in mm. sports and how to transfer those sports activities and that type of mentality into business today. And it really goes hand in hand. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I look back at, at playing baseball, you know, I tell people this all the time, Chris, that's the definition of average growing up. Literally look up the average height of a male in this country. It's five foot nine. I'm five foot nine. I grew up in a middle-class, upper middle-class family. Two parents were teachers, no hardships. You know how you hear about kids who, who overcome these adverse. I had, a, I had an easy life to be totally honest with you. Mm -hmm. And so for a while there, I struggled because I'm like, when I became an adult, even after baseball was over, I saw myself as average a lot. And I think definitely when I got to pro baseball was where me seeing me as mediocre, uh, mediocre and average impacted my career hugely. Hmm. How so? Like, in front of, I know that we're going to go really in detail with this, yep. but how so? I mean, was it just the impression of, you know, everyone else when you got to the majors? Was At, they just had more of a... Um, maybe a little bit more conditioned mindset and work ethic. 
Was it? Yeah. That I, if you, if you do the layers. So in high school mm -hmm. and I, you know, you were an athlete too, like in high school, if you're going to play college sports, whatever it is, you're, you were probably a standout athlete in your area, right? Your team, your area, your city. Once you get to college, most of those guys were star athletes wherever they came from. Yes. Right. Well, then when you get to pro sports, now you're like seeing people who are some of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, when I got to pro ball, I came from a small division one college, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. I was now on a team with guys from Ole Miss, LSU, Texas, you name it. Right. And, got, and, and high school kids that signed for millions of dollars. And I didn't see myself equal to them. Mm -hmm. I saw myself as this guy who came from small time division one baseball free agent. I wasn't a high draft pick. Like what right do I have to be here? Right. These guys are getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm not, I just wanted to fit in instead of saying, no, no, no. Use this as an opportunity to stand out. Right. Right. That's difficult. I mean, let's, let's peel it back from, let's go back even further. Let's go back into like, I don't know what they call it. Like pre-majors, like going in right before you start playing ball for high school. I was like, what? Oh seven, eight, yeah. Eight, little eight. league. Yeah, literally that type. It's like pre-majors or whatever it's called. It's like right after yep. that. That's the development years. That's the development yep. years that actually I, I was actually a coach. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I won championships and stuff like that when I was playing ball. But I, as a coach, I got I was throwing kids up in the air and shit when we won the, won the championship. They went to regionals and all that stuff. It was fun, man. But that's the development years of right before they go into high school. Mm -hmm. and they get picked up from JV or varsity, whatever it was. How were you as a ball player then? I had an interesting dynamic and an advantage. So I grew up in a baseball family. Like my dad would play college ball. He was good, not great, but he was also the longtime high school baseball coach where I grew up. Mm -hmm. So all through growing up, right? I was the bat boy. I was always hanging around high school kids, even when I was seven, eight, nine years old. That actually helped me a lot because when I got into the little leagues and ponies, majors, whatever we called it back yeah, then, we were remember all of them, 10 yeah. to 13 years old. I had been so used to playing with older guys, and I've always had my dad as my coach that I always, I definitely had skill on the baseball field all the way through. Where it really got unique, though, Chris, is when I got to high school, when your father's the baseball coach in a, we weren't a small town, but we were not a big town. A lot of interesting things happen, especially when you get called up as a sophomore. Because mm. I can remember, you know, quick side story. I can remember when I was a freshman, uh, my dad called me up for the playoffs just to be a backup pitcher in case mm -hmm. somebody got hurt. And the feed, the flack he got from that, we had an underground paper in our high school newspaper. Oh, wow. And then one of the nastiest articles I had seen was written about my dad and I when I was a, a sophomore the year after, basically saying, Coach Neri, if you bring your son up this year, you should be, you should resign. He has no business playing at, the, at that level. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I had that, had all the skills and the mentorship because of my dad, but being the coach's son in a small town also presented its own challenges. That's a lot of pressure Yeah, for a young kid at that, that age. I mean, what was the dynamic like when you did get called up? I mean, did you perform? I mean, did you play um, as a, as a sophomore, you got called up. Did you pitch yep. in the playoffs and whatnot? So freshman year, I got called up just to be a backup, right? Uh -huh. Sophomore year, I got called up full time. Okay. And I actually use, it's funny. I just did a podcast episode on, of my own on this, where I used these, the guy that when that article was written, it the, here's the, here's the interesting thing, Chris, it was written by guys who are childhood friends of mine, <laughs> wow. guys that I played with in the backyards at seven, eight years old. And so that, that stung me when you're, no matter what, man. When, you're, when you're 16, like that stings you. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I used that as a lot of leverage. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy to say when I became, got called up as a sophomore, 
what followed were three all conference seasons, sophomore, junior season, all state, you know, all I used, but I did, I admit, I used that as leverage of like, I'm going to prove these guys wrong that I do belong here. Just watch. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you, uh, and do you feel like, so obviously that was like a, a leverage point. That was a, like, that was a motivation. Do you feel like that also on the flip side, do you feel like that's what contributed also to that feeling of like not being good enough because you're chasing after it, but also in that same, it's like, there's an inadequacy there. Oh, that's a great question, Wes. I would say that has always been a battle of mine is that, am I good enough, whether it was baseball or anything? So definitely yes. But here's, here's where I also think it may have had a negative impact. It made it very easy to never be satisfied. Mm. I think a lot of people put up on the pedestal. um, I'll use two quick examples. Nick Saban, possibly the greatest coach ever in college football, right? And they always talk about after they win a national title, he's back out on the recruiting trail the next day. Michael Jordan wins a championship. Next day he's in the weight room. There's also a part of that where you're like, guys, do you ever just take the time to stop and celebrate and, 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 and be happy about what you're doing? And I did not do that. I think because I had that chip on my shoulder, I was constantly striving for better, which led to me never being satisfied with where I was at. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You not being satisfied and you, you got to celebrate the small wins, even the big yeah. ones. But a lot of, I think I learned, saw this in a Kobe Bryant interview when they won a championship and he was in the weight room the next day and he was breaking down film on a lot of people. They break down film when they lose. They don't break it down when they win. They want, he wanted to see the margins of difference on certain plays and knew exactly what he needed to do. The off season started a moment that bell rang. It was over. It was like, I'm, I'm preparing for next season. But if you, the celebration comes from that satisfaction. But when you are not celebrating small wins means that you're over. Sometimes in, from my point of view, it would be that you're not chasing the small targets in a daily task rather than you're just trying to chase that one trophy or what that championship or whatnot. It kind of goes to like, look, look where we all are now in our lives, right? Entrepreneurs, we're growing businesses. And I think one thing we all have to learn as entrepreneurs is you have to enjoy the journey, right? If you're just yep. constantly focused on the end result, you're never going to be, you're never going to enjoy the journey. In fact, you might end up resenting it. So it, the same held true in sports, right? If you're, if you're focused on this lofty goal championships, but you're not taking the time to enjoy the process. Mm-hmm. How many guys do we probably know if we really dug into it that are playing professional sports right now and they actually don't like it, but because they're making generational Audible. wealth, mm-hmm. That's their job, right? And so I think you definitely, as an athlete, have to make sure you enjoy that journey too. Absolutely. And that's celebrating the small wins, keeping that momentum going and going, man, I am lucky that I get to wake up and do this every day. Right. So when you were in college and then you got drafted, right? And you got drafted by, I think it was a hometown, obviously your favorite ball club, right? And that had been a crazy experience for you, right? (laughs) Like walking on the field, (laughs) like, what am I doing here? Like, why am I here? Well, here's the interesting thing, Chris. So if I can share this story, um, I actually, truth is I wasn't drafted. I was signed as a free agent. Okay. And I can still remember this. So college season's over, senior year, right? I did not get drafted, so I'm disappointed. And and I still remember this, guys. It stung me because if you recall, like in baseball, at that time, there were 50 rounds to the draft. Right, yeah. I was about to say, I was like, I'm pretty much, okay, go ahead. And they're taking high school kids, college kids. But once you get into the 40s, they start taking college athletes from other sports because they're athletic. We can teach them baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Cause I can remember that year here. Here's where it really hit me. I, 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 the draft had ended. I was not drafted. So I thought rest of my life starting, right? 
I'm sitting at the state baseball tournament with my dad, high school state tournament, because I just went up there with him. The Dodgers scout is sitting there next to me, laughing that they drafted Brooks, Brooks Bollinger, the Wisconsin quarterback, in the, like the 42nd round. I had all I could to not punch that guy. <laughs> right. Because I, here I am, a baseball guy, not getting drafted, and you wasted a pick on Brooks Bollinger, who was never going to play baseball. Next day, I start an internship in finance. And I'll never forget this. It's a data entry internship at this financial firm, downtown Milwaukee. I come home and I'm literally like, Oh my Lord, I cannot do this the rest of the summer. This is going to be awful. Mm -hmm. That night, literally first night on this intern day at this internship, I come home, have a voicemail. This is before cell phone. So it was a voicemail on our normal house phone, apartment phone. And it's my pitching coach from UWM. And he's like, Hey Andy, it's Todd. Um, Give me a call immediately. You need a hold of, of Char, uh, Harvey Keen Jr., who is the Brewer Scout. Called. He's like, hey, they're signing you tonight. Get on the phone. And then the rest was history, Chris. I jumped on the phone with Harvey Keen Jr., signed a contract by Friday. That was a Tuesday, I think. By Friday, I was in Helena, Montana. I'm a Helena Brewer. Right. Walk me through those emotions when you found out. It is. It is that moment. I don't know if you guys have ever had whatever you've, you know, if you hit achieve something, right? And there's that moment where you literally like just sit back and all you can do is stare yeah. because you're, you're kind of in that like holy moment, right? Like it just happened. Right. You so know, I'm, I'm not a real moment. Yeah. Very I'm not cool. jumping up and whoa, my you know, but the coolest part is like, you're sitting there and I remember I'm sitting on my bed in my apartment, hung up the phone and I'm th I think I was shaking. I'm like, oh my God. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Oh my God. So the the fun part was making the call to my parents. Right. Because you know, my dad, longtime baseball coach, I said, guys, are you sitting down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you sitting? Yeah, that, that can go like, that can go either way, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> My dad, I love the man to death, but he is an eternal I'm pessimist. He's to play hockey. You he's, know? A, he's an eternal <laughs> pessimist. So he's like, yeah, what's up? What's going on? You know, like the worried uh, parent, right? And I said, guys, I'm a Milwaukee Brewer. Wow. And so I told him, signed the contract the next day. Harvey Keene came to the apartment. And like I said, I was on a plane Friday morning to Helena, Montana to pitch for the Brewers out in Helena that summer. Wouldn't that be a really messed up, like, joke? You know, like, so say for instance, that, like, you're, was it Todd? You said Todd? Todd coach, calls yeah, yeah. you and again like, yeah, flies you out there and gets you. I'm like, oh, I was just kidding. <laughs> oh God, yeah, that that I don't know if I could recover from that one. Yeah, that one that's a little too much, right? <laughs> Reminds me, I don't know, I don't know if you guys re remember this. There was a kid in high school like five years ago that staged a fake signing. He was out oh. in California. You know how the high school football players now do the hats yeah. on the table. Yeah. He literally staged that whole thing of like he's choosing between Oregon, Cal, and like Stanford. Chooses Oregon, and then Oregon's like, we don't know who this kid is. Yeah, who are you? Be <laughs> like big signing, and also oh, like I have to. If you find a link on that, I would love to watch it. It's got to be know. like, could you imagine just the the emotions? Like, you, there's got to guess to be kind of the same type of reaction. You're just in a daze, like yeah. that shit. I'm like, who do I kill? Like <laughs> <laughs> someone, I'm gonna I'm gonna destroy someone when I come to. Like those types of moments are crazy. But yeah, I mean, achieving something you never thought you would ever achieve. You know, and that and that I could play a role. In, and thank you to Wes for asking the question and picking up on it because it started off as then. But you, what you needed, you needed a writer and telling you you shouldn't have been. You know I mean sign? That's what you, sounds like. You probably needed to push you and, and give you. So that's the way you can draw from something. I mean, did you have other experiences of being able to draw from something that when they tell you, you couldn't do it? You know, it's funny. Um, I don't know if it's from somebody telling me I couldn't. 
But I do share this a lot, Chris uh, and Wes, is I still deal with this today. Like when you're in a tough situation, like running a business, a personal situation, whatever, like back then for the first, was it 17, 18 years of my life from the day I started playing baseball to the day I, I no longer played, my happiest place was the mound. Mm-hmm. Like if there was one place in my life, I truly felt unstoppable. It was on the mound. Great. I could, I could remember being in high school knowing I'm playing a certain team in the conference who's not very good and like going into the game, like, let me just see how fast I can get this game over with. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Like, having that confidence of like, and my thing, it was funny. I tell people this when I was in a jam on the mound, my go-to is I'd start singing. <laughs> so what would I you, would even what would you see sing? my and I'd, <laughs> I never was in my head at the yeah, time. Yeah. Like in high school, remember the song Breakfast with Tiffany? Like that was a big popular song back then in the mid 90s. Like that song might pop up in my head and I'll just start singing. And what it did is it just calmed me down. Mm-hmm. It just got me back in a groove. I'd get the ball, sit, you know, I'd have the song. And it just that feeling of like, I'm standing on the mound with this rock in my hand, it's game over. That's awesome. What was, the, I mean, what type of pitcher were you? I mean, was it like you were, were you very structured with your pitch counts and, you know, like, were you very much in a zone and that way I didn't need to go low and inside here, curveball. And did, were you, did you put a lot of time in the, I guess you would say preparation on a game plan when you were that, going to pitch? That was my superpower back then. I think that's what okay. gave me the chance to play at the high level. Cause I, again, I'm five foot nine in high school. I weighed 145 pounds, not intimidating. Right. College, I got up to about 165, 170, adding some muscle. But again, I didn't throw hard. I threw 89, 90. So you see the guys in, in pro ball today that are my height, but they throw 99 miles an hour. Yeah, these guys can throw. A Lord put a lightning bolt in their arm, right? For me, it was all control mechanics. So I was a very good athlete on the mound. So fielding pitching, I was excellent. My mechanics were spot on. Um, I was a f- all about efficiency. So two quick examples. I can remember pitching in high school. They were seven inning games, right? I think I had one game. The other pitcher was also good. The g- entire game lasted an hour and five minutes. Mm. Wow. I had another game where this was the, the, the defining moment game of my high school career was the first round of the playoffs, my senior season. I had only accepted one scholarship at that point to division two, Winona state university in Minnesota. That night, though, the coaching staff from UWM happened to be there. That night, I believe in a seven-inning game, I threw 77 pitches, 66 strikes. Precision. That's so that awful. was my, that was my thing, was precision, accuracy, and... and You're like I, a Maddox, man. Maddox yeah, they, oh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and he was, you know, at that time, he was at his peak, right? And so guy, a guy like Greg Maddox was inspiration because I'm like, I don't throw hard. Mad dog. I, I need to have great. control. And he, I mean, you go back to the, and I was just like him. What made him magical was he never had a pitch that was straight, right? Every pitch never, moved about this never. much. And he, he would paint the corners beautifully. Yep. yep. I mean, he would just paint. I mean, one of the best precision, like, I guess, pitchers I've ever seen, but he was cool as a cucumber on that mound. He was. Yeah, it was it's funny. Again, I, I go off on tangents, guys. I apologize. But last year, check this out. Amy and I are in Hawaii. At a, at a resort in Maui and we're literally laying up against the pool. You know, I was sitting up against the pool and I'm mm. staring and that whole weekend I thought I had seen all these celebrities and was going to club. <laughs> it happens to me when I go to LA. I yeah, yeah, you're, you're like, like, yeah, you're like, then you Google and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sitting there and I'll, I'm looking at the guy sitting in a, a deck chair, like seven feet away from me ahead of me. And I'm like, Amy, holy shit, that's Greg Maddox. 
And she's like, whatever. It's like the ninth person you think you've seen. So I get out of the pool <laughs> and I walk over and I'm not the guy, I don't like making the scene. Right. I'm like, Hey, um, don't, don't want to make a scene or be a jack bag, but like you're Greg Maddox, right? He's like, yeah. So I, I thanked him. I'm like, Hey man, I got to play pro ball. Just want to let you know that you were an inspiration for guys like me. I didn't throw hard. I was a control guy. Here was the best part though, guys. He was wearing Batman swim trunks and a yeah, Superman he's crazy. T-shirt. He's out there. Yeah, he's out there. Yeah, I've actually, I haven't. Well, not mistaken. I lived in Atlanta, so when they're yeah. always, they would always go to these country clubs to go play golf, and that's all I did was play golf. I was really, yeah. I sucked really bad. I would just do it because I had to. Yeah, I was a regional, so I that's what we did. Is I would take people. I was the guy in the company, the single guy that took everyone out for a good time. That's what I did for a company, pretty much. That's not a bad gig, man. <laughs> That's not a bad gig at all. And then we'll go play golf. And I'm like, if I, I just start, it's not a bad game. I mean, you just start drinking beer, smoke a cigar, talk a little bit of shit, right up my alley. So, yeah. and we would go and we would run into these guys, but they, they was like a like an unwritten rule in Atlanta. You don't approach the baseball players. Mm. And I was a huge Braves fan anyway. And I, I always put myself in that type of situation. I'm not one of those starstruck type of people anyway. Yeah. Like I'll tip my, I mean, I saw Matthew McConaughey at a bar in Austin, Texas, kind of like just tip my hat to him. He took a shot, sitting over a shot, but he left really. I'm, I'm just not that guy yep. other than one time when I saw Michael Jordan <laughs> in Charlotte, he was walking out of a hotel and I was walking in the hotel. He's walking out. And I was like, it was like, I don't know, five 30 ish in the morning. And he comes walking out in big duffel bag and he's made eye contact. And I felt like my soul left my body. <laughs> he was like, what's up? You know, like kind of like did the, like did the whole thing. And I didn't even move. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael, if you're ever, I'm, you wouldn't be listening to this, but if I sort of got, if I'm, I'm going to tell you that story, I, I'm out, I froze. I just froze. I was like, and then he walked off and I was in the doorbell guy, bell hop, whatever it is, what do they call him? Right. Yeah. He was like that. That was, he goes like, yeah, it's Michael Jordan. <laughs> so it's like, fuck, fuck that up. Because <laughs> no one was out there. No one was out that's that could have been like, man, yeah. yeah. Freaking idiot. That's awesome. That's so, I mean, that's cool, man. I mean, yep. and he's, yeah, Greg, man, he's out there, right? I mean, but that's more, a lot of people when they, I guess they dedicate all their time and effort into accomplishing something, especially in that very high level. They're a little quirky and they, because they love the process. And that process is a difference maker for a lot of people. And you talked about, you know, there's ball players right now. They get drafted, make a ton of money, and they aren't dedicated to that process. I mean, why do you see that as much as we do? Yeah, no, that's a. I, I just thought about this the other day because I think money has a lot to do with it. You know, I, I talk about people when people talk about baseball we're still not far enough away from the steroid era. Right. Mm -hmm. And so people want to talk about the cheaters and I'm like, but listen, I blame baseball for that because if you're a backup first baseman, okay. Making the league minimum at the time, like 300 K a year. And the guy ahead of you is making 8 million a year. It's a little different. And you need to hit 30 home runs to take his job. You're going to do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And so I think the money in sports has led to that. Um, but I agree with you. I think what happens, how many times you see these, again, I think it's baseball more than anything. These guys are signed to these 10 year contracts. Mm-hmm. And then in year two, they get hurt or they just do how not it, perform. All time. It's like a 10 year curse. Like they just, I'm a huge Braves fan and I'm a, don't talk. Let's not talk yeah. about that. I'm still a little sensitive right now about 
them being up three one and then fucking losing to the Dodgers. Yeah, I was just like, on a oh. podcast. I was just on a podcast yesterday out of Atlanta, and I'm like, guys, what? Happened? What are you doing? I'm like, ah. So they signed Ronald Cunha to like a ten year, you know, contract, and and Ozzy and all these guys, and I'm like, please, please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. Please don't get hurt. And these kids are great. Um, and Freeman had a phenomenal year. I wish they would have played out the whole year and not had just like, I, I wasn't really into it. And then they got to the playoffs and I'm like, Oh, the Braves are good. They're real. Like they haven't been good in so long. It drives me nuts. <laughs> yep. But when I see, when I do see someone signed to a huge contract, they, yeah, they might get hurt. They might have some issues on the team in the clubhouse. And next thing you know, they might get traded or dumping off contracts or whatever they're doing. You see it a lot, especially with pitchers. But it goes back to kind of what we've been talking about. I don't want to make a general statement for all athletes, but I got to believe for some when the payday comes, right? You're making league minimum or think about rookies. They make the rookie deal. And then all of a sudden they go from rookie deal to massive deal. For some, I have to believe that mindset then lends to complacency. Yeah, I can see that. I just literally in one contract created wealth for like five generations behind me. And a lot of it's guaranteed. Mm -hmm. And so I do think for some, not not all, but some, I think there's that I've made it. Mm -hmm. And I think you do see a fall off sometimes, maybe with effort, depending on the athlete. Do you see that that'd be a huge way for in a marketplace for someone like yourself that's went through that type of situation and being able to relate to some of these athletes at a very young age and type them like maybe mentoring them? On- oh, yeah. I mean, actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because I'm in, in the process of shifting my podcast a little bit called Bullpen Sessions, right? And as a pitcher, my job every week was to have my bullpen session with my coach. Mm-hmm. And I think one impact I want to make is with young athletes. Cause I think a lot of them are struggling right now. COVID has either canceled their sport or greatly impacted their sport. It may have cost a scholarship. Yeah. Or yeah, a lot actually. And, and, and yeah, up here, up in the mind, a lot of these young guys and even before COVID with the recruiting services and you got to play select travel, like it is so different than when we were growing up. Um, but what's interesting with that all being said is you look at baseball and as a guy who didn't live up to his potential. And a guy that had like his one shot and that was it. When I saw the Houston Astros scandal breakout, right? The cheating mm-hmm. where my head, it went to immediately was anger because how many pitchers were called up for that one start. And it was against the Houston Astros. Right. But unfortunately knew they knew exactly what was coming. Mm-hmm. He gets destroyed, gets sent back down, and never makes it again. Right, and so I mean, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with our society nowadays. It's like paper thin. The moment yeah. they're faced with a little bit of adversity and some yep. setbacks, they don't look at that as an opportunity for them to really grow and yep. excel. And there's it comes with mentality. I mean, would you agree? Like just a mindset side. Absolutely. And that's, um, I heard an NHL player say, and I wish I could give credit to the person, but I think the best athletes in sports will all agree. It's 80% mindset, 20% skill. Mm -hmm. So really, if you, if you believe that formula for every hour of practice, you should put four hours into the mind. Right. And I think the good, the good ones do the good ones definitely do that. And I think a lot of people just think it's all skill. 
Right. It is all mindset. We were talking about, I know that before we hit record on this, you know, for the listeners and whatnot, we we're talking about curb your enthusiasm, but I was watched one of the episodes recently and it's in my mind. That's why I'm bringing it up. But um, Larry David had to go to like counseling or some bullshit, right? <laughs> so he was in counseling and he was like talking to the guy and he was, um, and it was the dude from Breaking Bad, the, the actor, right? He was just like, I guess for one season, he was like his therapist. And the conversation is like, this is a really uncomfortable chair. This is like, and he's talking about the most, you know, Larry David's out there, right? So, and he was walking out and he was like, so if you ever don't want to do this ever again, you just got to let me know. Just send me an email. And we'll just be done, you know? Like, <laughs> and as he walked out, he's like, good God, right? So, I mean, that's what I kind of like imagine in my own mind. If I ever went and seen a therapist, they're going to be like, oh shit, I don't even want to deal with this guy. Yeah. But it's important to have some type of outlet to be able to, and it could be, and, and it, for me, it's Wes. Like when I get on a phone with Wes and we're having our meetings and we're so much in detail, I'm throwing it out there to make sure that I'm not crazy. Yep. I mean, you have to have that outlet. Well, did you have something like that for you? Nope. And that's, that's, I, I wish I did. You know, okay. when I go back playing pro ball at age 21, 22, I, I allowed myself, you know, comparison. Here's the thing about pro ball. A lot of people don't talk about when you're in pro baseball in the minor leagues, everybody's trying to get promoted. You're trying yeah. to get promoted over your teammates. So you're at technically competing with your teammates. Coaches are trying to get promoted. Umpires are trying to get promoted. And that comparison, and by the way, you're literally being judged by stats. Um, that comparison can just infiltrate you. And that fear of being judged, all that stuff. So had I had somebody to bounce that those weaknesses off of, Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if you talk to, again, the athletes that are excelling at the highest level, the majority of them have a sports psychologist. Right. Well, the sports psychologists, they have a really good, I guess, friend group or people that they can really yeah. lean on. And I'm, and I mean, don't say this the wrong way. And I'm not trying to poke holes in this, but I'm just going to ask this one question. You would think it would be your dad, right? I mean, how close was that relationship to you? Absolutely. No, right. I, I, and I wish I had a better answer for you, right? I, right. I should have been bouncing that stuff off of him. Right. Um, but I didn't, I didn't get a different dynamic. He's st- I mean, yeah, he made it to, you know, he played in college and whatnot, but he coached high school. You know what I mean? I mean, that's a, that's a very unique, different, I guess a very unique, it would be a relationship that you would have with someone that experiences, you know, like going to all these cities, all those women thrown at you. Right. I mean, cause that's how it is. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. It's called the river dogs, but it used to be called the Charleston rainbows. And they changed that pretty quick when Bill Murray bought it out. And then <laughs> you see Bill Murray all the time down there. But these these women, man, that's like Charleston, South Carolina is like three colleges right by all downtown, right? And <laughs> these women just throw themselves at the River Dogs people. And they're like they're they're not even they're single A, bro. They're like these guys are probably never making. It. They get to, they get experience like pro ball and pro booty. You know what I mean? Like pretty much at a young age. And it's just these guys were playing high school a year ago, you know and. They get thrown out there and they, I know you think that the ball club and you think that they would have people there for, you know, going through, you, you said once a week, you're meeting with your bullpen coach, but then also a mindset development, a yeah. personal development coach. You think that these, these people would put people in that situation or have That's a really good, and, and up until this moment, I didn't think about it that way. That's a really good point. You would think the investment of a psychologist or a, a team mentor, I don't know, whatever you want to call it would be just as important, right? Um, and, and I think I go back, Chris, to, to this conversation because it's something I teach and preach and coach now. It's your tribe. Who's your tribe? Are you hanging yeah. around people who are, are challenging you, holding, you know, lifting you up and holding you accountable? Or are you, are you, cha- are you hanging around people who are sucking you, the energy out of you and validating where you are right now? Mm-hmm. Back then, I didn't know that. I didn't know right. what it meant to have the right tribe. Right. 
I just I don't know if Wes, if you saw all the light bulbs that went off in my head. Did you see them all? Like it should have been an emoji just went <laughs> like reaching out to some of these, like you know, like the farm clubs, like you know what I'm talking about, and reaching out and be like, hey, I'll do this for fresh. How I got my first gig when I went from international sales and went back to trade schools. I went back to one trade school that I did some work when they actually hired, gave me my first education sales gig. And I went to them and was like, Hey, I just seen, I've seen everybody. How are everybody doing? They're like, Oh my God, Chris, you're doing amazing. You've done amazing things. And I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what's your system look like? You know, what's this look like? What's this look like? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll give, maybe give you some ideas and do an audit and break down your system. And then I'll said, I'll do it for free. And then I presented it to them and I nailed the contract. And that was one of the first contracts that I landed. It was actually a big money. I think I sent you a screenshot, Wes, like when that very first popped off. I was just amazed by it's that simple, but it has everything to do with your mind. Like I'm not, wasn't scared. I wasn't scared to have that kind of a conversation. I kept always have to ask, tell, I guess, check myself. Like these guys still trade their time for money. Like, yeah, they're wearing suits and ties and all that stuff. They're still trading their time for money because I was in their situation of making 130 a year. And working 80 hours a week. And now you're looking at a you know multi-millionaire, right? Coming from that. And this all comes from my skills. And you being a big fish and going in, you know, I guess you say being a big fish in that little pond and going into the ocean, like yourself going into the majors, that's what I think is is was definitely missing was that dynamic. And you needed something to draw from in that process. I yep. get it. Yep, you're absolutely right. And um, it's funny you bring all this up because as I'm trying to pivot a little with the impact I'm creating, I just got uh, an email out to me on Monday, I believe it was, from my former college, UWM, asking me to speak at a, a beautiful for, for current athletes. So right. it's it's all in it's all kind of in momentum or in you know in the works right now. But I agree with you. I think you got a lot of young athletes right now need it more than ever. Right, for sure. For sure. I mean, because let's let's talk about that just for a second, leaning in and making that pivot, because that's something that you do very well. And you do have a voice for radio and voice. I might say face for what is that face for TV? Like a voice. <laughs> yeah. Did I should I take that as a cut? You got a voice no, for no, radio. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't. I, wasn't. I, just, I remember there was an episode that we had a while back. It was an Anthony Garcia. He has a great voice. And I made that joke <laughs> and we didn't have that much before yet. And I was like, oh, it could have been a fail, but he adapted well. <laughs> Like you got a face for get a face for radio, you know. Like <laughs> I don't know what they were saying is, but yeah, I mean that's that's a huge transition. Let's walk me through exactly what you know what you're involved in now, and what actually motivates. Yeah, good question. Right now, I, I coach a lot of insurance and financial advisors. Okay. Why? Because I spent you know I've been I've been in the health insurance industry for 17 years, and so I coach them on a lot of skill which is how to build a brand, how to stand out, what's your message, who you're going after. But honestly, it all comes back to mindset, right? Mm -hmm. When you, you get this, Chris, with sales, like most of the time when you see somebody struggling in sales, what do they resort to? They resort to skill, right? They go, oh, what, what, I need a new product. I need a new strategy. I'm going to go to more conferences, jump on more webinars. When reality is they got to change the mindset. Yep. Everything has everything to do with the mind. And I, I struggled with that when I was young. I'm like, oh, I just need a new shiny metal object and that'll save the day. So I spend a lot of time with these. And even the ones that, you know, that are succeeding and they're trying to take it to the next level, it always comes back to mindset. Mm -hmm. And so I made a decision literally a week ago that I want to have more fun with the podcast and with, with in making an impact because it's why I started uh, bullpen sessions. I The coaching program I have is complete game. I want to make a bigger impact on those young athletes because 
right now you are compared more than ever as a young athlete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Your parents are investing more than ever to help you become an athlete. And now we've got this thing called COVID, which again has knocked so many athletes off their momentum, off their routine. And let's face it, at the end of the day, what's always been there as a struggle is when you're in college, what 2% of athletes playing college will go play pro. Mm-hmm. 98% are going to end their chapter of athlete athletics very soon. And a staggering. Lot, a staggering. A lot of them struggled. I did when I when I left pro ball and got into the business world. I struggled, and so I think there is definitely a big impact to be made to help those athletes transition into the world. Into the, let's call it the real world, the business world. So, right. and on on that topic, Andy, actually, it kind of brings up a a point, which is one thing that we've come to realize is, that, especially with pro athletes, is that they struggle a lot with that identity piece especially when you're making that transition, like you've put your entire life into this one thing, becoming having this one identity, and now you have to make that shift right into a, diff- a whole different world. If you can touch on this, what was, what was that like for you? And, and what advice would you give people? Yeah, no, that is, I, I, I the pain is, is fresh because I just interviewed a former figure skater who represented Canada in Sochi. And we talked about that. She's like, I was like, what's that like when you're literally the the spotlight of the world for two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's gone. She's where do you like, go? It's like, tough. Where do you She's go? like, yeah. it was tough. And so for me, when I left baseball, because here's the thing, guys, when you're 21, 22 years old and you're, you come home for the off season, because I still had a semester of school to finish, right? And stuff like that. When you're going out to the bars and, and people are like, oh, you're with the brewers, like, don't get me wrong. You like that adoration as a 21 year old. Of course you do. Of course and you. then literally this is an, a unique thing about sports is they tell you, you are no longer good enough to play for us. Mm-hmm. We're all now, told. I, I remember that stat. I remember that saying from that was that money ball, not to cut you off, but money balls are all told we can't play anymore. At some point, at so some point you're told us. you can no longer yep. play the sport. Yep. And so when you now have to go, Oh, uh, Three months later, I'm now in a financial advisor, which I was at the time. That's a big shift because all that adoration you just remembered nine months ago, no one gives a crap anymore. <laughs> and so I think for a lot of young athletes, a couple of things to your point, Wes, that sport has defined them so much that they're, I just talked to a pitching coach uh, from the Kansas City Royals that got cut as a result of the major league baseball, cutting a lot of the minor league teams. He's like, I don't know what to do. He's like, this has been my life. What do I do? And, and so trying to figure out, here's the key. And I, it took me too long to learn this. Anybody who's struggling in that spot, what I would advise them to do is go back and think about the skills that made you successful in that sport. Yeah. It wasn't shooting a basketball. It wasn't hitting a baseball, throwing a baseball. There was some kind of mindset skill or ability you had. Just apply that to whatever you're going to do next. And I promise you'll have success because Doing it over here made you world-class. Hmm. Apply it to whatever your next endeavor is. Clues, man. It leaves clues. Yep. And then it was clues is actually going to work for you and you only. Because yep. what motivates me or what motivates us, what motivates you, and it's different. We're all like, and especially as entrepreneurs, we're like, we're like the quirky, weird people, you know, that really didn't fit in. <laughs> I guess you would say in the trading time for money world. Like I was telling, I was just, we're interviewing someone else. And I was telling, I was like, I can't go back. There's no way. There is no way that shift happened. And I've experienced now 
and been exposed to a certain way of thinking that I can't just conform and yeah. fall in line. It's just not going to happen for me. I mean, has that type of experience happened for you yet in this world? That, that's some, I'm so glad. I was going to actually ask you guys, have you been entrepreneurs most of your adult career? Yeah, it's past eight, almost eight years now. Okay. Yeah. I'm much newer to this world, right? And for my whole life, I was raised to be, go get a paycheck, put food on the table, mm -hmm. right? That's the, fan, the kind of family I was raised in. So I was a W-2 employee for 20 years, almost 20 years. It wasn't just until a year and a half, two years ago, I'm like, I'm done. I'm moving over to this world. So I can't relate to somebody who just was born an entrepreneur or had parents who are entrepreneurs, right? But it's somewhere to say, okay, what at age 42 or 41 allowed you to do this? I would say this. It took me a long time, but I have learned to not give a shit what people say or think about me. I have learned to take 100% responsibility for everything in my life. So when you run a business, it is all on you. Mm -hmm. And I have learned to love failure mm. because you know, as entrepreneurs, you fail every day, try something. Day. Oh, wow. I, I suck at every this. day. Like yeah. I'm because I, I set my goals so high Yep. that my, but that's the whole thing is when I'm setting an outcome or setting a goal is just whatever needs to be done to get there. It, yep. it, whatever it's going to take. I, I don't care. Like whatever it's going to take to get to that outcome, I'm not going to fail. But where I fall short is hitting certain certain targets and things don't go well, things I can't control. But I can control this. But go ahead. Go well, no, you're, at, you're dead on because the biggest, I think, transition for people, I'm going through it with my girlfriend because she's kind of transitioning. She's starting a Reiki business and trying to, you know, after mm -hmm. being a W-2 for a long, long time. When you're a W-2, you can screw up but you still go home and is it really on you or is it more on the company to deal with, but you still get your paycheck. Right. When you screw up as an entrepreneur, it's on it's you hundred percent. What yeah. if, if it dinged revenue, you're not making money. Mm -hmm. So it ends in why man, yeah. you're not producing revenue in some type of form or fashion. I mean, it doesn't matter how, what income it is. I mean, you got a lot of different types of income. Yep. A lot of people yep. don't understand leverage. They yep. don't understand when, if you're not making any money, you gotta. You don't have a business, bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. You have a hobby, right? Not a business. Yeah, and that's something you the, do. But on the flip side, that I've, you know, something I've come to learn is there's fun in that. I, I always use the sports analogy of being an entrepreneur to me is like getting the chance to wake up every day to play the game. Yeah. You can get your true. ass kicked today, but it's, guess what? It's, it's, you yes. get to wake up tomorrow to play a game again. Mm -hmm. And to your point, when you're W two, you kind of have the rails on, right? Like you do this, it results in this, you get paid. Right. For us, we can be like today, this, you know, I'm going to try something new. We'll see it works. And all of a sudden you have this huge inflush of revenue because they work like the fun around trying that and going, I don't care if it fails. I'm going to try this. And when it does, and when it succeeds and it results in more money, more revenue, more growth to your company, that's stuff you can never trade. No, you can't. I mean, someone asked me this in a, in a interview, like, when is it ever going to be enough? And I'm like, what is enough and how are you measuring it? Yep. Because if you're measuring it by money, then no, it's never it's never going to be enough because that's not what I'm going after. Yep. Like I'm I am a hundred percent dedicated to become one percent better every day, and I know I say that, but it's very it's it sounds so like stupid and so easy, but that's my that's my saving grace, man. It's one percent better every day, and there's a lot of areas in my life where I failed miserably, Andy, M failed because didn't communicate my vision, but you don't need to communicate all over the point. But because a lot of times I thought in entrepreneurship, well, I'll take a break when I get to this level. I'll take a break when I got to that level. I'll take a break. <laughs> it's not the way that we're built. The when I, the when I syndrome. 
Yeah, it's it's never because you have 15 seconds to appreciate you accomplishing something. Yeah, like like when they go on shows, I I try to plug my ears and I try to read the bio. That so there's podcasts out there that just read a whole bio and then intro. Like that's awful. Like there's no personal touch to it. Like I don't want to know why I've arrived. So I'm, I'm like I do regret now sending my fucking bio. Like just like introduce me and let me start talking. People will know. You know it's all good because we've we've put in that work. Yep. And people know that. And you're not, and there's when there's a lot of you know entrepreneurs out there. It's all smoke and mirrors, and all they have is a website and all this other stuff around them is social media. In the last couple of weeks, I had my Instagram hacked. Right, mm. and I'm still battling Instagram to get it fixed. But I've, I've actually enjoyed the last couple of weeks that I'm not bombarded by all the messages that I have to respond to that want my time. And that's all they, they want me to do something for them. Like, I'm like, listen, bro, like you have to first know how to structure and approach a conversation with me just because, you know, I've yeah, I've done well in my life and whatnot. Just everyone wants a fucking handout. Mm -hmm. they, they want the shiny object syndrome. They want it right now. Like, what can you do for me type of thing? Like, what can you do for me? I mean, do you have people approach you in that type of way? You know, I, where you, where you made my mind go was like the freedom in, in having this business is when you're able to go out on social media, Chris, and just be you right. Yep. Not playing yep. to the algorithm, not playing, you know, what will this do well in the feed and just being like, dude, I'm posting this cause it's coming from my heart. I could give two shits mm -hmm. what people think, but it helps my, it's, it's what my business is about. It's what I'm about. There's absolute freedom in that. Mm -hmm. And I think to your point where it's, it's getting a little overwhelming is, and I don't know who's teaching this. I wish they'd stop, but like the number of people who want that hack. So they create these Autobot stuff on social media to try to generate business. What is that? What so, yeah, I mean, I'll tell you. So you want, like the likes and reach all that stuff. No, right? it's so a perfect example. You asked, does anybody uh, reach out for handouts on a daily basis? LinkedIn's my main platform. On a daily basis, I get no less than 12 connection requests from people who I know is absolutely automated and they're just trying to immediately sell me. Something. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of that stuff on, on LinkedIn. It's and like I can tell, I can tell exactly based on the, 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 the invite request, what's said that it's an auto generated. Let's just see how we can build our following and, and connections and sell. That's not me. Like if I could give anybody advice, who's trying to build a business on social media, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook, just be you right. Show up as you have human conversations being authentic I mean, and especially in 2020 that's what people want mm -hmm. it, it, it really sells at a very high level i mean especially when and i've seen west do this you know effortlessly with people it's just he's just being himself he's on a call and when you know when you see a lot of videos i see a lot of stuff people content and they're all that's all they want to do now is just do content 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 but you can tell when someone's on actually a real meeting and they're actually hitting record and trying to look a certain way and being betrayed i look at that like is it insecurity and you're not, you don't know your shit. I look, I see right through it. And the ones, I guess the ones that are on the, on that type of level and on that frequency, we see right through the bullshit. <laughs> right? So there's no substance to you. If I got on a call with you, I'm going to rip you wide open because. You know what I mean? And like, that my friend sums up the early part of my career. Right. It was baseball. Oh, I need to do what he does. I need to be like him or early business insurance career. I needed to look a certain way. I'm only going to be taken serious if I have a tie on. I need to say what he says to win business. No, 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 no. Just be you. Right. Just, just yeah. do it your way.
And that, that's the that's the ones that are really making some waves right now in the marketplace are the ones that are just really being themselves. Yep. Um, and I know that we had a brief conversation and then we don't have to go into, you know, obviously say the name and whatnot. You see the ones that are coming out there with their personal brands and they've done baseball or football and stuff like that. And they're trying too hard. Yep. You got to let it come to you. I mean, in, in baseball, you learn that you got to let the game come to you. Right. When yep. the ones that, you know, let it come to you and you just make the proper adjustments and then you know, win. Yep. But when you're trying too hard, man, it's like, you're going to pop a blood vessel in your fucking head or something like relax, like, well, I, relax, man. You couldn't be more accurate. I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully about to coach a, a former major league baseball player soon that actually made it all the way as a pitcher. Mm-hmm. And I think he said it so, so well, he goes, listen, I know the fact I played pro ball does open doors. Mm-hmm. He goes, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to me. Right. He goes, at the end of the day, when business rubber meets the road, they, they don't give two craps that I played baseball. Mm-hmm. It got me in the door, but now it has to be me to win the business. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was so adept uh, in tune of him to say that because like you just said, some people could just try so hard to just leverage that story of theirs, the brand. And I'm all right. about sharing you're, your story. You're and you're still tied into the identity. Yes. And ain't my own girlfriend has called me out about that, by the way, because my, my, my theme's baseball, right? She's like, do you think sometimes you spend too much time talking about your past and tied to the fact you played pro ball? And there are times I gut check that. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's still mm-hmm. about you, the human today, not who you were 20 years ago. I mean, if you had people like this before, like, please share. But some I've read somewhere one time, and I don't know how true this is, but I, I really think it is because there's a lot of times in my past life, and I've left, believe I lived a lot of different lives. But when you come to your true self and you want to know who your subconscious is and whatever your subconscious is, if you make a shit ton of money, and the ones that make a crap ton of money and they have like an ego and they talk a lot of shit and they push, you know, really successful people, the ones that are wealthy, they don't spend that time to kick someone while they're down. They're looking and say, hey, congratulations. Like for the ones who we're talking about, their blood vessels about to pop and they're trying too hard. I, I wish that I could do a weekly webinar or something. But like, listen, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And then I'll teach you how to leverage all your weaknesses and, and outsource yeah. and focus on whatever you're good at and what brings you joy. And that's hard right now. I mean, let's talk about that if you can, because we talk a lot about this. If you trying way too hard because it's the universe's way of telling you this isn't meant for you. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when you have to check your energy too, Yeah. if something is sucking too much energy out of you, that's like, if taking it back to sports, that's like you being a baseball player, but the, but you hate baseball. Yeah. Right. So it's like, you're doing it. So what are you doing it for? So it goes back to the reason. So if you're doing it for money, well, that's not a good enough reason because there's no passion in what you're doing right now. Mm-hmm. You're always looking at the end result, which is the greatest recipe for depression. Right. So what, you know, so it just really just goes back to that. Are you aligned with your purpose? Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I'll take that right back to you, Andy is because that again, going back to the identity piece, I mean, that's what you were, you know, tied into baseball. How did you refocus that? How did you realign yourself into a different purpose? Yeah, that's a great point. And I feel like you guys just had a conversation with my own coach and she shared all my weaknesses with you guys. Um, because I, I'm going through that. I've, I've gone through that recently. Focus too much on my revenue of my company, right? Like you said, Wes, it allows you to start resenting the process. I create a ton of content as one human being for social media, but I was starting to resent it because I felt like it owned me. 
Mm. And I wasn't enjoying just posting when I wanted. I felt like, oh my God, I got to post three times a day at this time, this time, and this right. time. And just saying, no, 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 I'm going to post when I want to mm-hmm. and about what I want to. And so timing of that question is really good. I think for me, it was realizing that baseball being an Ironman athlete, which we had, we didn't have any even talked about, but there was a time in my life I did triathlon Ironman right. races. Um, they all provided clues. Chris, I think you said that earlier clues, but I can no longer hold on to the fact that, Oh, look where I was at this point in my life mm-hmm. because I need to recognize I'm there now. And I think knowing that and recognizing that and going, I can go back and look at take snippets from that point time in my life to use who I become today. That's seriously guys, what has allowed me to build a coaching business. Cause I said, Oh wait, all I'm going to do is teach people what made me a great baseball player, mm-hmm. help them avoid why I failed as a baseball player and then apply them to the brand I've built for six years. And I've got a business because people need that help. It all comes so, from failure. It all it, comes yeah. from your failure. It yeah. all comes from your failure. When people out there are just trying to avoid pain and failure at all times, yep. you're living life in your, in your own bubble, in your own confines of your own mind. You're never yep. going to be happy. No. It all comes from your, people don't want to hear the money I made and the businesses and all that bolt. They don't want to hear that shit. What they want to hear is the stuff that I've overcome and how, how, I was, how was I able, able to do it? Like coming from a dirt road and living in a penthouse suite. You know what I mean? Like those type of stuff. They want to like, what were some of your setbacks? What were some of your challenges? How did you overcome? Like walk me through that process. I mean, when you were, you know, top 1% in sales, how did you go from that to entrepreneurship and actually cornering a marketplace in certain areas where people don't know what the hell they're talking about when it comes to bridging gaps from sales, marketing, operation, fulfillment. Mm -hmm. And I'm tying this all back into what you're doing right now. It's always going to come back from your instinct and what you know. You need to speak to what you know and stay within that lane. It's so good you said that because I think anybody who's a coach, like a business coach, life whatever you want to call it, probably struggles with imposter syndrome at some time. Like what right do I have to be coaching this topic or whatever? And I did for a little bit when I started the coaching business, but what allowed me to go back and realize like, what's my credibility is when I said, Oh yeah, stuff I'm teaching actually made me one of the best baseball players in my town. It allowed me to, it allowed me to play professional baseball. I can teach that's credibility. I can teach you how to do that. I'm not going to teach you how to play baseball, but I'm going to teach you what I applied. And you're so right, Chris. I think the truly successful people don't have to tell you how much money they make. They don't, you don't, they don't, you don't need to know. Like, do you, I put it this way. And I, and I always reference this story because it, it kind of really made an impact with me was um, Anthony trucks, you know, trucks, right? Yep. Yep. And he was on the show and he was talking, he's always wearing a t-shirt and like shorts or whatever. And he goes out and as soon as he opens his mouth, people start recognizing like this guy knows his shit, right? A little bit. And then you go, wait a minute. And like, you don't need to tell them. I don't need to stop telling people who you are. Show them. Yep. I Prove it that. by yep. action. Yep. Or inaction. Like I'm not going to entertain certain conversations with people. I just don't because yep. I use my emotional intelligence, and that's where it all comes. I mean, how much do you, I guess, pay attention to certain things that people don't tell you? In, in as I observe them. Yes. Oh God, I spend a lot of time beha- watching behavior. Mm-hmm. I, I think. Um, I actually enjoy this might sound weird, but 
like you said, as entrepreneurs, we're weird anyways. Right. I, I enjoy watching social media behavior because mm. I think you can quickly tell when somebody has made legit. that yep. legit or made that move where you're like, hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I see know. what you did there. I just see why you did what you did. <laughs> right. And likewise, I see it with coaching. I can tell immediately when I jump on a call with a potential coaching client, if their motive is one way, I know I cannot coach them. Mm -hmm. So I get, I, I often get coaching opportunities where somebody wants to jump on a call and they spend all their time sizing me up and telling me how great they are. Mm -hmm. And I go, well, it doesn't look like you need any help then. Why are you here? I, why, I love why, why are we, why are we on this call? Why are we here? How did we yeah. get here? You want me? And that's actually, I pick up on it really quick to where, I mean, I was, it's what I do for, it's what I did for a living. And it's just, I put in those hundred thousand hours or whatever it was. Yep. I, I get on the phone and then I do exactly opposite on every, probably 99.9% .9 of salespeople <laughs> that actually they try to teach. I teach the other 90% of what they don't teach you and tell you. Yep. And that's what we teach. Yep. When I get on a phone, I'm just observing. I'm asking questions. I'll position myself, of course, but I'm not going to tell them exactly who I am and the company and what I do. I just happen to own it. But I'll say, listen, man, like walk me through some of your decisions and choices that led you to this situation right now. And then I want to see if they're going to, I don't know, suppress, deflect, whatever they're going to do. I'm going to look at their behavior. And a lot of times is what they don't tell me. And what I what I identify and what I pick up on, hmm. and I, and one of the <laughs> great ways to come back to anything is to say interesting. That sparks an interest in people's mind. Like, why did you say interesting? Yep. Like, don't worry, I'm gonna tell you why in a minute. Here's what here's what I see. Here's what I can do, and here's what here's what I suggest you do in this situation. It's all about a recommendation. I never tell someone to do something. It's I'm going to make you do it by the way I'm structuring my questions. Then they'll yeah. go, wait a minute, because that's the ethical part, right? It's my moral obligation. I mean, I look at every person that I've come in contact with over the years as a sibling and a lifelong friend and a client, right? Because that's how you get multiple business on business and business, yes. business. But being yourself, I love that you're bringing more of yourself to that. And you're, you identified a lot earlier in the process of entrepreneurship than I did. Yeah. Because I, I was bought into the successful, the identity of being successful. And your identity is tied into whatever you do for a living. You're going to fail at some point. Well, and I, again, with the niche that I work in, you know, insurance, you see a lot of that, that in, a, in the insurance industry, success is def de uh, typically defined by money. Yeah. What kind of car do they drive? What kind of suit are they wearing? And I can tell, like we just talked about, when I get on a call with somebody, I've worked so hard on social media to just share me with you and talk to you about all my weaknesses that I hope you can get on a call with me and share, share yours with me. That's the missing ticket right there. That's and the so when they get on, when they get on and I hear a couple things, they're telling me how great they are constantly trying to prove themselves on the call or two, they spend their time telling me how everyone else is wrong, but no one gets them. <laughs> Those are my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm done. Like, I'm not going to coach that individual because if you're not willing to get on right now and be like, listen, man, here's where I'm struggling or I'm doing well. I get this a lot. I'm doing well, but I, I, I want to take it to the next level. I just don't. There's not enough time. There's not enough me. I need help. Those are the guys, gals I want to work with. You get on the phone. You size me up. Tell me how great you are. Tell me how everybody else in the industry is not doing what they should be doing. We're not going to be a good fit. All right. Tell me, tell me what you're going to get, what you're looking for for me. 
Yeah. When they come to, when I have people approach me and approach our companies, right. And they approach us and they're looking for explicit knowledge and situational questions. They approach it in that type of way. Like, okay. So when I start, when they approach us and ask those detailed questions, I know they're ready for it. Yep. I, there's people that contact us all the time. Like, Oh, we want to do this. We want to do that. We want to make seven, eight figures or whatever. I'm like, you're not ready. Yeah. You're, you're just not ready. But that integrity for you to be able to go to them and saying, in a way, you're wasting your money by thinking this I is going to. I failed before because I was the guy that was yeah. trying to help everybody. Yep. I had value. Yep. I felt, I believed, you know, deep in my, you know, I had a very strong conviction. I can help anyone. Yep. And that was the problem. I was trying to serve everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think the, 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 the phrase quote I use a lot that has been such a help to my coaching business, guys, is when I get people who, you know, because the, the imposter syndrome that's come up for me before is I've never, I, I haven't sold the most health insurance in the industry. Right. But now I'm coaching people on how to grow their brand and which results in more sales. Indirectly that way, yeah. I tell them, listen, there is not a damn thing I'm about to coach you that you can't get on the internet for free. Mm -hmm. However, the reason you need me is knowing and doing are two different things. Mm -hmm. I'm here to give you the discipline, the accountability and hold your butt to the fire. So you do them. What does that look like for your coaching clients? I mean, how do you do that? So my, what I do with my coaching clients is we, I give them three hours of calls a month on zoom. So typically people will go four 45 minute sessions once a week, you know, weekly check-in for 45 minutes. Um, there's things I specifically teach them. So a little process, but it's not the, the it's a six month arrangement. I don't spend the whole month, six months, just teaching some long drawn out process. Mm -hmm. What we do is, is every week we connect, I'll teach them something with branding messaging, but we also make sure to, I make sure to work on exactly what they need help with in the moment. Cause I go back to sports. Mm -hmm. When I had a coach, I didn't want to know, oh, I just get my coach twice a month. I need my coach when I need my coach. Yeah. And so sure. what I do with my coaching is you've got the set calls, but then I also put myself on retainer, meaning, okay, if you're outside the coaching hours, but you really need help with something, as long as you give me 24 hours, we can jump on a call. And if you're working on a project, you got a proposal, whatever we'll connect. Cause I want to be that coach at the same time. That's there when you need me, not just, Oh, sorry. You've got to wait till next week to ask that. Especially that high level, especially when you're tapping into their subconscious, a very vulnerable state. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And knowing that your coach is there when you need them. I know for me, when I can text Christina, my coach, I'm like, that's a blessing. Right. Cause, cause, cause I think with a lot of coaching, they have these set programs. And I, I actually started that way where I was two calls a month and I was like, people lose way too much momentum in two weeks. And if they're waiting to ask the question another two weeks, your like coaching what, I mean, isn't effective. The first question that you asked, like what have you implemented from the last time that we had a conversation? Yep. So we, I always do homework, but you know, when, when somebody, let's say we do a coaching call every two, two Tuesdays, every, every month, right? The Wednesday after the, the one session, something pops up, this advisor needs help. Now they wait almost two weeks to bring it up to me. It, it, there's, there's probably not much we can do to help. It's probably already they're coming. Not gonna remember. They're not going to remember. They, I mean, a lot of these people when they're searching, they're seeking coaching. They're so in, unorganized anyway. They, yep. they don't know what's happening within their own mind. Yep. They but here, here's what I love about the coaching. And I don't know if you guys get this in your, your end too, is when you do get that individual who pops on and they may start a little bit with, you know, telling you all the success they've had and so forth. But right at the, towards the end of that discovery call, they go, but here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing and then favorite. they just open up to what is really going on mm -hmm. and i i see that as a huge success because that tells me throughout that phone call or zoom chat i 
was vulnerable enough with them to give them that feeling to be the same. Well, they tried. Yeah. I mean, you, you matched, they saw you as a person of, I guess you would say influence. Yeah. And credibility and trust. Yeah. yeah and you built that trust to yep. the where they can have a real yep. conversation. And the ones that are quickly are able to break through the layers of the bullshit are the ones that are really going to make an impact in today's Correct. marketplace. Cause there's a lot of smoke and smoke yes. screens and mirrors and shit that yes. people put up all these walls. And that's something that Wes and I, I mean, and we are proud about is that we use our emotional intelligence and we can, we're able to break through as like a hot knife on butter. like cut yeah. right through the bullshit. Like, Andy, great, man. I mean, how many people get on the phone with me and tell me all this bullshit? I don't have time for this. I seriously, I'm got to, I don't give a shit anymore. I'll cut. I mean, yeah, of course, depending on the product, the service, or, I mean, I don't get a phone with people, individuals anymore anyway, but mm -hmm. if I did, that's exactly what I would tell them. Yeah. Like, listen, man, I don't want to hear this shit. Like I ain't got time for it. Why are you really here? Tell me why. Yep. yep. And you know why I got that confident? Cause I'm able to overcome anything. Yeah. Yep. Anything. And the thing that comes back to your standard too. Yep. Like if your standards are here and you're not going to accept anything less, then people can feel that. Right. Yep. So you're either going to meet my standard or we're not going to have a conversation. Right. And yep. what I think a lot of people, when you're, you're somebody who's maybe on the other side of that, I think where people struggle the most is they have too much attachment to that result. Yeah. And because they have too much attachment to that result, they're, they're trying so hard to get the client. When you have zero attachment to that, you're like, I'm going to see if you're a good fit for me. It takes on a whole different attitude mm -hmm. and mindset going back to that, which results then in the ideal outcome. And the ideal outcome could be that you're working with that person or you're not working with that person Correct. because those two things are both ideal outcomes. Yeah. And I, I go back, Chris, you said something early about you used to think you could help everybody. Yeah. I think in sales, the biggest mistake people make is they're too afraid to get a no from someone they don't want to work with anyways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I see, I, I, I see it a lot. A lot. There's it, sub, it's, all, it's all in their sub. Everything lies in your subconscious. Everything. Yeah. In the insurance world, it's prevalent. You bring in a new piece of business, great, it's money. And three months later, you're like, why do I have this client? Well, it's because you are too, you, sh you know what you should have done? You were too afraid to, to say no to that person. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people, salespeople, they don't ask for the damn sale. Yeah. And they, they think they need to entertain or, you know, I mean, keep, they think their rapport <laughs> is, is keeping them happy. And yeah. keep them talking like, nah, man. Like I, I tell people right from jumpstart, man, I was like, I'm your coach, you know? And, and this is back in the day, you know, before, you know, obviously companies, corporations now, right. And building stuff like, listen, man, there's going to be times. It's probably about a next call. Maybe during this call, you're not going to like me, mm -hmm. but you're not going to tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. You're not going to, and I'll challenge you on this. And there's any, there's any part of this that makes you feel uncomfortable and feel like that I'm giving you wrong advice or poor advice. I need you to call me out on it and hold me accountable. But, well, they were like, well, what do you mean? And they'll go, well, okay, they'll ask me a couple questions. Like, well, what do you mean about being uncomfortable? If I'm uncomfortable, it's like, but the whole time you're going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm going to make you uncomfortable from now all the way to the end. Because when I learned this from in the military, like when I went to boot camp, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I'm like the one guy that went to boot camp because I grew up. My surroundings, man, was just crazy yeah. growing up. Like, yeah. if you're not screaming at me, you don't got my, you don't have my. <laughs> so, I mean, I played ball stuff like that. But I went to boot camp. I, <laughs> these guys are screaming at us when we get off the bus. I'm like fucking laughing. I'm like, look at these guys. I'm like, come on, man. Like, relax, dude. I'm like, you're just screaming at me because you you have to. You know, <laughs> like walk me through. Tell me what I got to do. But they expect you to know certain things, like lining up to go march and do certain. They expect you to do it because they're not going to train you that way. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, that's when yeah. they train into their eyes bleed or tapping into your subconscious, reprogramming you yeah. to break you down to nothing. Yeah. Break you down to, they call it parades rest. They break you down to nothing and they mm -hmm. build you from there. And that's yep. true leadership. Yep. Absolutely. But it's the ones that they're not going to, they're not going to be nice to you. Nothing ever gets done that way. No. Nothing. I mean, for the most, I mean, Wes, what would you like to add to all this? I mean, this has been a great episode for the listener. I know that we talked a lot about the baseball stuff, but it, it's everything to do with what's, what's actually going to be impactful to, in today's marketplace. Because yeah, that does help on a credibility boost. Like, yeah, I play major league baseball, but what you're talking about is you're going back into who you are and your strengths and how you can make an impact. And I think that's, I think that's great. Yeah. And I think one thing people, for people to, to, really pick up from this too is the fact that you know andy could use that his time in, in in professional baseball and all that as the reason why he's credible but he doesn't he uses it as a source to help people understand why you know he's telling them what he's telling them and why he's doing what he's doing right so it's not about credibility it's actually about being able to help people understand the journey right and relate with them that way and so i think if there's something for people to take away from this it's really that is how how do you one how do you use your story but then two what we just talked about here is where's your standard and i think it all ties back into what you said in the beginning andy is 80 percent mindset mm -hmm. 80 percent mindset 20 percent skill so how much do you actually put into your mindset each and every day and are you holding yourself accountable to that or are you just looking for the next strategy to try to help you get to wherever the hell you're trying to go mm -hmm. right so that if anything i'll take pay attention to that piece Right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Because I think at the, at the end of the day with 2020, the way it's been, it's easy to accept mediocrity right now because it's not, at least it's not devastating and demoralizing. Yeah, well, they're they're, they're pre-programming you with an excuse. Yeah. And, and I think the people who don't do that, I we said this from the beginning, Amy and I, when COVID hit, the people who take this time to work on their mind, yeah. work on themselves, are that's going to be the new haves and haves nots. Right. The people who use this time to get better personally and mentally are going to come out of this thing. Very, That's where you know well. who the real winners are. Yeah. Right. 100%. And I will give the listeners this. Yeah, you did talk about 80%, you know, mindset, 20% strategy or whatever you're working on, right? But I believe when you get to there's a different level, every level there is, is going to take a completely different version of you. Mm -hmm. The person that I was just making a million dollars is not the same person I am today. Yep. Right? Or the same person I was, you know, making five figures. It doesn't matter about the dollar amount. It matters about this. When you make that shift from 80, 20, now you're able to at least have the conversation, at least understand what's happening in the world mm -hmm. and understanding what you need to do. That next level, getting to eight, nine, 10, and there on, that's going to, you need to make that shift from 95% now mindset and 5% situation. So that situation, that's the, that's the gap. Mm -hmm. And you start dialing in that way because it's all about situation. Like, what's yeah. the situation? Like, just tell me the situation and I'll tell you how to fix it. I'll point, at least point you in the right direction. That's going to make more of an impact. So if I can give any advice to any maybe new entrepreneur or current entrepreneur just want to get that to the next, next level, that's what it's going to take is or what are you willing to put in? That's awesome. Like, what are you willing to put in? Are you going to be able to sacrifice who you are today on who you want to become? Like that's a, that's a huge thing for people, man. And it, it's different for everybody. You get to draw from something. I'll, I'm going to ask you one question. We'll tie up to this and I'm not going to give you an elevator pitch, right? As that was my little pitch thing for you, but from everything that we talked about today, and if say for instance, you were listening to this and you were tuning into this show, 
what advice would you give them and something to pay attention to, do you think? Just in today's world, just mm -hmm. success today. Uh, I go back to, again, what I failed at, be yeah. you. Right. Just be you. Like show up every day and, and show up every day consistently. I think so many people, Chris, want that fast win, that silver bullet, that hack. And they're they're letting themselves off the hook right now to not show up every day. Mm -hmm. The best athletes in the world, the best business professionals, sales professionals in the world have the ability to show, wake up every day, do the boring ass shit that no one wants to do to have the massive success. Right. Everybody wants to throw it's a touchdown. It's, it's, needed. it's what's needed. It's the only thing. It's the only thing that's going to separate you right now because everyone has talent. Some type of level of talent is the ones that are going to execute on the process. Like I love the process more. I love anything. I mean, business names, logos, color scheme. I who gives a shit. I don't give, I don't care anymore. Like whatever. Like all I need, man, is being able to set payments. If I can accept payments, obviously the merchants and different things that we're doing now is completely different. But a lot of people that think when they need to have a coaching business and they're good at something, well, how can you train that? You can't just be good at something. Can you train it? And why are you going to train it? Is it to make money? Because that's what they start their business to make more money. I look at it as not making more money. It's creating more time for myself on the things yes. that actually brings me a lot of joy. And so, I, think, I think for successful entrepreneurs, um, there's definitely skill. But I think one of the superpowers of most entrepreneurs is that ability to keep going when you, everybody else gives up. Yep. 100%. And even when you're winning. I work harder when I'm really winning. Like I'm seeing a huge gap. I mean, there was a company that we're, you know, contracted through. I was, we're beating people's results by a million plus a month in revenue. And that was my gap. That's how, because what I drew from is when they, when I very first got involved in that particular company, they told me that I couldn't be on that level. And I made them eat that shit. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I made them eat it because I mean, that that's something I had to draw from, but you can't let that be part of your identity because that's where you fail. Right. So, man, I appreciate coming. I look forward to our episode coming out yeah. here soon, man. It's going to be fun. We're going to get on here. I think it's what Monday, right? So we'll light, we'll light some energy, man. That's what I yep. love about these conversations. Hey, no limits, bro. Bring whatever you want to bring to the table. Let's have a great conversation. Just make Careful an impact. What you asked for. Man, it's all good. <laughs> man, you, you ain't going to get me on my back feet. It's all good. I'm never on defense. <laughs> it's all good. I'll dab, I'll flip the show and I'll, I'll make this show mine. Right, you call it what bullpen strategy? What do you call it? Bullpen sessions? You're gonna throw I'm the like, fastball. I'm like, you might be a buck. Like, it's all good, man. You don't choke. <laughs> it's fun, man. That's great, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was fun. All right, man. Y'all guys, y'all take care.